Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. to have our Bible reading. Uh, You'll see that's Mark's gospel and the Bibles are back out on the seats Uh, today. We're going to read from Mark chapter 1 and and then we're going to sing together again. While you're finding that, Mark chapter 1, page 836 in the Bibles, page 836. Uh, Just like um, I want to say thank you to those who were cleaning yesterday and setting up and to our Sunday school teachers for all the different ways in which people have got ready Uh, I do just want to take a moment uh, once again to thank our church family for all that you have done over the the past 18 months. The kind of care that has gone into this weekend to make this weekend ready uh, is really just a small example of the kind of ways in which we've loved one another, tried to help one another. I want to thank you for your patience and care and for all that you've borne uh, over the past months. We're still not out of the woods completely, are we? Uh, But we're getting there slowly and you've contributed hugely to that. Uh, just by the way that we've loved one another. Um, So my thanks to you very much indeed for that. Let's hear God's word then. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. This is the start of a new series that we're going to do, and I'm going to read the first 20 verses. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair. And he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, 
and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Amen. Over these past 18 months, there has been so much bad news that you might have missed a piece of good news. This piece of good news was on our screens, on our news reports, the middle of July this year. And here's some of the wording from the good news. For more than two decades, a Chinese couple tirelessly searched for their son, who was kidnapped as a toddler near their home 24 years ago. On Sunday, they were finally reunited with him. Taken, stolen, separated, and 24 years later, they found him. Here's what made it so moving. Here's words from the story. After his son was abducted in 1997, the boy's father reportedly traveled to more than 20 provinces throughout China on the back of a motorbike chasing tip-offs. In the process, he broke bones in traffic accidents. He even encountered highway robbers. Ten motorbikes were damaged. Carrying around banners with his son's picture on them, he is said to have spent his life savings on his mission, sleeping under bridges and begging for money when he ran out of cash. Here are the words. Their reunion marked the end of a desperate search. Their reunion marked the end of a desperate search. Friends, can you imagine it? A desperate search. Oh, the longing. Oh, the waiting. Oh, the hoping. You know, these kinds of tragedies, uh, incredibly, are not rare in China. In fact, even in the last year, there was a story of parents reunited with a son after 32 years. And stories like these have inspired books and films. Uh, That one, the 24-year family have had a film made about it. Some of you will have seen the film Lion about the family in India that end up losing a child only to be reunited later in life. Oh, the hoping. Oh, the waiting. Your entire life, isn't it, is standing on tiptoes, looking, waiting, hoping, longing for the one that you love, wondering if today is the day that they will come back. Today, you might find them. And the reason I want to begin with this this morning, friends, is because that is exactly what we have as we open the pages of Mark's gospel. And as we begin this gospel together, this is a reunion story. Now, you've done with me just now what, what I did this week. I opened the book on my desk and I read the words on the page But as we read what we've read together, we need to have in our hearts the feeling of 24 years of searching or 32 years of waiting. See, here's the thing. If you take that Bible, the Bible that you've got, if you have a physical copy, if you take it in your hand, okay, and I want you just to flick back to the beginning of Matthew's gospel. So you've got Matthew, then Mark. Flick flick all the way back to the start of Matthew. Okay, and then hold the pages in your hand like this. You see how, uh, how, thin, how thin they are. And then leaf back to Malachi chapter 3, just one more page from the end of 
from the beginning of Matthew into the Old Testament to Malachi chapter 3. Okay? If you hold your Bible like that from the book of Malachi into the New Testament, those pages that you're holding, there is 400 years between those pages. Malachi ends and Matthew does not begin the next day. There is 400 years of waiting, 400 years of looking, of longing. Look at Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is what Mark begins with. The beginning of the good news is 400 years since Malachi said, The Lord whom you seek, the Lord whom you're waiting for, the Lord whom you're longing for. God's people were wanting God himself to come. God had promised, he'd he'd said, I'm going to come to earth one day. I'm going to draw you back. We're going to be together again. He'd promised it. They were seeking him. And what they wanted was, God, will you yourself come to earth and put everything right again? We are seeking you, waiting for you. And do you know how long they waited? 400 years. 400 years. Now, 18 months worth of a pandemic. What have you been like with waiting? hard, isn't it? I think sometimes we're hard on ourselves through the pandemic. People have said again and again, the pandemic has shown us how impatient we are. Yes, of course, because life is not meant to be like this, is it? That the world is not meant to be the way it is. We are waiting for an answer, waiting for a solution. Isn't that where we are today, friends? Waiting. Fairground rides in Aviemore are not meant to crash injuring children. Gunmen are not meant to rampage the streets, killing their own mother and women and children. Good men and good women who we love more than life itself are not meant to take their own lives. You know, somebody told me this week that for some people, who are tied to the high masts of suffering, the thing that is greater than the fear of death is the fear of life. Some people's suffering is like that, isn't it? It's not meant to be this way. Famine, war, disease, it is not meant to stalk our globe the way it does. Brothers and sisters, the pain inside your heart today Take your place today in the long line of God's people, right from Adam and Eve onwards, all the way through time. God's people are awaiting people, waiting, waiting, waiting for God to come and fix his broken world. And so what you have on your laps open in front of you today is a reunion story. This is the story of God come to earth in Jesus. God and his world separated in sin, broken apart, no longer friends. And now God himself has come. 
The one God's people were longing for is here. The one our hearts are aching for has entered this world. And so one of our questions today is, well, if Jesus is here, if this one has come, why are we still hurting? If the Lord is here, why is everything still broken? What Mark has given us here, these 20 verses in front of you, uh, we're looking at words on a page, aren't we? But it is so easy to miss. What Mark does after verse 1, if you look at it again, is he presses play and he says, I want you to listen to some voices. First, listen to the prophets. Listen to Isaiah the prophet. But these words in verses 2 and 3, they're actually a, a mixture of Isaiah and Malachi together. And then listen to John the Baptist, verses 4 to 8, who comes dressed as Elijah. He's wearing Elijah's costume, Elijah the prophet. So three great prophets to listen to, Isaiah, Malachi, John the Baptist. Then verses 9 to 11, Mark says, now listen to God. The heavens open and God speaks. And finally, verses 14 to 20, listen to Jesus himself. So you have me in your ear this morning, but those are the voices that we're going to listen to together. The prophets, God from heaven, and Jesus himself. And if you want points and a structure on that blank page, that's as close as you're going to get this morning. I don't, I don't really have points this morning. What I have for us is, is, is a stramash. Okay, that's a great advertisement for a sermon, isn't it? This sermon is part Mark chapter 1. It's part, over, part overview of the book. It's part big picture as we just try to hear these three voices speaking to us, prophets, God, and Jesus. And you see straight away as you open it and you read verse 1 down to verse 3, straight away there is a lesson for us. Jesus without his Old Testament background is not the real Jesus. Jesus, without his Old Testament context, is not the real Jesus. Do you notice what Mark does in verse 1? The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is written in your Old Testament, in Isaiah the prophet. If you want to understand the good news about who Jesus is and what God has done in the world, it begins in the Old Testament. So that word Christ in the opening verse, the the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' surname. You couldn't look him up in the phone book under C. No, Christ is his title. It's from the Old Testament that we learn that that word means king. The context for the gospel is the Old Testament. That's where the good news starts. The good news isn't something that just begins in the New Testament. Uh, Many years ago, I took my children to see the Lego movie. I don't know if any of you uh, saw that or had that. And uh, I I took my kids into the cinema and we went, I think it was a matinee. It must have been some point during the day. We entered the cinema, the the room that the screen is in, and we entered what I can only describe to you as a seething cauldron of toddlerhood. Okay, some of you know what that is like. And then to my horror, I realized that the film booking that we had the, the, the screening that I'd chosen was the Lego movie in 3D. Okay, and if you can imagine a room full of hyperactive children, 
watching a hyperactive film, but in 3D. Okay, and after about 20 minutes of this film of Lego bricks being thrown literally at my head, coming out of the screen with my glasses on, and the noise all around it, I couldn't take it anymore and took my 3D glasses off to try and get a little bit of peace, a little bit of sanity. And of course, in a 3D film, if you take your 3D glasses off, it actually makes it worse, doesn't it? Not better. Because all of a sudden, the screen that you're watching is now, well, you can make out the images, but it is slightly blurred. The, the angles are all wrong. You need to put your 3D glasses on to see the image properly. And friends, reading a gospel, Mark's gospel like this, without putting on your 3D Old Testament glasses, everything is going to be blurred. Slightly, yes, you get it, we understand it, but not quite crystal clear. And many believers go through life having that kind of slightly blurred relationship with the Lord Jesus. People say all the time, I I just want to hang on to Jesus. I, I don't want to get sidetracked. I just want to keep learning about Jesus, just him. That's a natural thing to feel and to want to do as a Christian, isn't it? So people then say, so what should I do to find out about Jesus and to read about him and to grow to love him and understand him? Mark says the answer is your Old Testament. Your Old Testament. The good news about Jesus starts way back there. We cannot just love Jesus properly by being just New Testament Christians. That is way more common than you might think. New Testament only Christians. Gospels only Christians. Maybe a bit of the Psalms now and again when I'm feeling down. Favorite book only Christians. No, everything will be not quite sharp, not quite crystal clear. And the second lesson from the prophets is nearly exactly the same as the first one, and it's this. Jesus, without his Old Testament purpose, is not the real Jesus. Okay, so Jesus, without his Old Testament background, is not the real Jesus. Jesus, without his Old Testament purpose, is not the real Jesus. See, just take a look at John the Baptist there in verse 4. Here's John the Baptist on the riverbank, and he's baptizing hundreds and hundreds of people. And that phrase, baptism of repentance in verse 4, it, it means putting water on the body to symbolize the washing away of your sin. So, so there's sin inside and you put water on the body, not to actually wash away the sins, but to symbolize it, to, to, to act it out, to put it in dramatic form. But the incredible thing is that John is doing this to who? Is he walking the streets, just getting anybody in, anybody from any nation? No, look at verse 5. All the country of Judea and all Jerusalem. These are God's people. These are religious people. These are the people who John is saying you need to be washed clean. What John is doing here is very radical. He's saying, look, the king is coming. And when the king comes, if you think the only thing he's going to want to see is your birth certificate, then you are in for a shock. See, John is not 
John the Baptist kind of gets pictured, does he, in our minds as a kind of, you expect to meet John the Baptist three o'clock Saturday afternoon in the city center wearing a sandwich board saying, turn or burn. John is not like that. He's not actually doing that to anybody passing him by. No, he's speaking to God's covenant people, his children, his people who had the law, who had the temple, who had the sacrifices, the priests, who had the rights to the land, who had the covenant promises stuffed into their back pockets. They, they loved their Old Testament and John's message of repentance comes to them. He, it comes to Abraham's children who are actually snakes and fakes. That's who John is preaching to. See, the real Jesus is a Jesus who saves from sin. It's very important to be clear on that. Jesus does not come to tidy up our lives to save us from boredom or to save us from unemployment or to save us from a difficult marriage or to save us from a bereavement. He has come to save us from sin. Now, as he deals with our sins, well, then we do find our marriages changing or our our grief takes on a different shape. But the real Jesus comes to earth to deal with a problem that the Old Testament said is our real problem, and it's this. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And only Jesus can save us from that judgment. See, the good news about Jesus, the, 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 the opening verse, the beginning of the gospel, that word gospel means good news. The good news about Jesus only makes sense when we see that judgment is coming. Why should I want to be washed? Why should I want to be saved from sin? Why use that kind of language? See, that the one big message of the Old Testament, that whole bit of the Bible that comes before Matthew and Mark, the one big message of the Old Testament is that the rebellion that has broken out in God's world, that the sin that has entered this world that we live in will one day be dealt with. The Old Testament said one day the king would come. And when the king comes, there will be judgment for sin all the sin that has ever marred God's good and perfect world. And it would mean judgment for the people that had turned their backs on God. So I want you just to go back to Malachi. Just look at this quote that Mark begins with. Go back to Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. Here's how you can see this. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? You have wearied him by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or you have wearied the Lord by asking, where is the God of justice? Friends, have you ever, have you ever asked that question? You've certainly heard friends and family ask that question, haven't you? If there's a God and he's good, where is he? Where was he, where was he in Plymouth this week? Where is he in Afghanistan? Where is the justice in the world? Chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the God whom you seek, the God who you are asking, where is he? 
will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he will purify who? The sons of Levi, God's people, and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Do you see see what John is doing? What Mark is doing by quoting Malachi? What John is doing by baptizing? He's saying, look, before you ever worry about judgment out there in the world, when the king comes, he is going to put his own house in order first. It is the religious who need to repent and who need to turn back to God because judgment is coming. I want to encourage us, friends. I, I think you pick this up here over the years. I hope you do. And I want, I, w- I want to keep doing this year after year to say to us that although our world outside does not like the idea of judgment, when Christian people speak about it, everybody actually wants it and needs it. Our world is longing for judgment, isn't it? The the, the shooter in Plymouth, an incident like that happens, and immediately we want to know who, who got this wrong, who handed that weapon back to him. Our world is aching for justice, longing for it. And Mark says judgment always, always begins with the house of God. It always starts with us. It it is to the people who have been given so much, but who have loved him so little, who have scorned his word so greatly. It is to those people that judgment comes first, before it ever then spreads out to our sin-ravaged world. And friends, that means this morning that you and I need need to find ourselves in verses 5, 4, and 5. If we ever base our relationship with God on anything other than the forgiveness of sins, we are in trouble. Yeah? Anything other than the forgiveness of sins. What do we often offer to God? My family history. I'm a church kid. My church tradition, my, my daily Bible reading, my acts of service... All of those things, John the Baptist, Mark is saying, they all count for nothing if with them and alongside them and driving them and fueling them, there is no deep fear of the Lord and love for him with a full and thankful heart. the, the, The vocabulary of our lives needs to be confession of sin, love of God, sheer love of God for his grace and forgiveness. Jesus came to make me new on the inside and clean on the inside, not good on the outside. Jesus came to make me a subject of his kingdom, not merely a child of Christian parents. So look, I want, us, I want you just to put all of this together. T- take in the big picture here. That the prophets tell us that judgment is coming, but look, Mark says, the Lord has come. He has arrived ahead of time. He has come early. Before judgment comes, the king comes to announce his terms of peace. The king has come early to give rebels a chance to lay down their arms. 
He comes this time to bring forgiveness of sins so that one day when he comes again, there can be salvation, not just destruction. So that there can be rescue, not just punishment. That is why everything is still broken today, friends. Because the king has come to forgive our sins, to put us right with him before he comes again to punish sins and to put the world right. Do you know, it's what makes the Lord Jesus so special, so unique. He is the only person in the world unspoiled by sin. He is not broken. He does not need fixed in any way. Look what the prophets say. Get the world ready for his coming. Make the path straight. Look what John says about him. Get yourself ready for his coming. Make your heart right. Now look at verse 11. Look what God says about him. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Here is what God says about him. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, with you, the Lord Jesus, I am well pleased. You know, I, I read a lovely story this week. Uh, I read a story about a retiring bishop uh, who was leaving after uh, decades of faithful ministry. He was being interviewed in a theological college. And the interviewer asked the bishop, uh, his final question was, he said, what is the one thing that has kept you going in ministry all these years? And the interviewer said, look, I'm going to be honest, it was a pretty dull interview up until that point. And when I asked this question to the bishop, what is the one thing that kept you going? He said, of course, we're all expecting, I don't know, what are you expecting? Prayer, uh, Bible reading, maybe he might even mention his marriage, something like that. But he surprised everybody in the room. The bishop said, the one thing that has kept me in ministry is an infinite capacity for disappointment. Isn't that amazing? I love that. I understand that. Anybody in ministry, whoever leads anything, a Sunday school, a mum's Bible study, a church family, will tell you that without a capacity for disappointment, you will not last. My friends, don't, please don't worry about me. I'm okay. I'm in good heart. Not, not might throw the towel in. And the reason I'm okay, and the reason I hope you understand that, is because it's not just ministry, is it? It, it is life. You can ask that question, not of a bishop, but of somebody in their 70s and say to them, how on earth are you still standing? An infinite capacity for disappointment. Because life is full of disappointments, isn't it? We all know that. We all live with that from start to finish. We know what it is like sooner or later. We end up a disappointment to ourselves. We are a disappointment to and are disappointed by others all the time, aren't we? All we do is let each other down. And, and so what we do with that disappointment in relation to God is so important. For, for look, look at what John is saying in verse 4. Isn't John saying, verse 4 and 5, to God's people and to the world, you have all disappointed God. 
for you have all sinned. You have let God down. And so, friends, here is what I want to fill your heart with these weeks, Will and I, as we, as we preach through Mark's gospel, as we look at it together. What we want to fill your hearts with is this. When Jesus enters the world, God looks at him and says, in you, there is no disappointment. In you, my son, I am well pleased There is nothing disappointing about you. There will never be anything disappointing about you. With you, I am 100% happy. You have my approval. I spoke with a friend this week, and he said to me, he said, "I'm, I'm just convinced God is angry with me all the time. I, we were sitting in a coffee shop. He said, I'm, I, I think always in the back of my mind, I'm going to step outside of here and break a leg or slip or something bad is going to happen to me because of who I am and what I've done with my life and how God must see me. And, and this person's disappointment with themselves has welled up to such a point that they've come to think that all that they can see about themselves must be all that God can see about them. What does it mean here as God says to the Lord Jesus, with you, with you, I am well pleased. Friends, will you do this with me today? Will you hide yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ? Hide yourself in him. Follow him. Let his perfect life cover your life, whether it's disappointing or glorious, however you feel about it. Take everything about you and come under Jesus and know that under him and in him you have God's smile. Listen to the prophets. Judgment is coming. Listen to God. Jesus has come. Listen to Jesus himself. What does he say? Verse 14, repent and believe the good news. Same message as John, isn't it? Your sins, every single thing about you that you've said and done that is wrong, that is an offense to God and to his holy law, every single sin can be forgiven. That, that, that's what this whole gospel is about. Mark's gospel, 15 chapters, the first eight chapters, who is Jesus? Who, who is this man that we're going to look at? Then you get to chapter eight. Why did Jesus come? Why did he enter this world? And one of these first disciples, Peter, he realizes that word Christ in verse one, that the light comes on in his mind and he realizes you are the king. I get it now. I've seen what you're doing. You're the king. So let's go to Jerusalem and boot out the Romans. Let's get rid of them. And Jesus says, no, you've seen who I am, but you have not seen why I came. Mark's gospel, chapters 8 to 10, Jesus teaches his disciples why he came. I came to lay down my life, to be a ransom for sin, to pay for all your wrongdoing. And so chapters 10 to the end of Mark, what does it then mean to follow a savior like this, a suffering savior? Put put those three questions into your 
your notes into your grid as we as we look at Mark these coming weeks. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? What does it mean to follow him? You're going, we're, all we're going to do is answer those questions week in, week out. A suffering Savior who gave his life to pay for our sins so that his life would become our life. That's what Mark is all about. Do you know, back in 1966, uh, I'm sorry to mention it here in Scotland, uh, but I'm a Northern Irishman, so I can do it. Uh, 1966, when England won the World Cup. Do you remember the the amazing images uh, as England come? uh, they, They win the trophy. And what you've got is the England team walking up the steps of Wembley to collect the trophy. Bobby Moore lifting it. You might remember the incredible uh, picture. You can find it online and look at this moment. Uh, as Bobby Moore goes up the steps and he's walking along the old, the old uh, Wembley gantry to collect the trophy, he realizes he's about to meet the queen. Uh, and the queen is there in all her uh, posh clothes and she's wearing immaculate white gloves. Have you ever seen this? And you can see Bobby Moore kind of almost pause and he realizes for the first time that day that his hands are dirty and he kind of looks down at them you see him walking along and then do you remember what he does just as he comes up to the queen you see him just wiping his hands on his shirt just quickly getting as much of the dirt off himself as he can the the entire event wrapped up in sport and sweat and competition and before he knows it he's in the presence of the queen of england if he, wasn't meet, if he wasn't meeting the queen, he wouldn't have given two hoots, would he, about his hands? He'd have put them round whoever it was, hugged them. But in the presence of purity, in the presence of royalty, that's when his uncleanness mattered to him, didn't it? And he knew that he wanted to be clean. You know, maybe you've never done that before until today. You, you, you follow yourself no one else, not, not Jesus. But you would love to be clean. You would love to be clean, clean on the inside. Friends, that is why Jesus came. The, the, the message of this book is that God has put his son into this world, a perfect king in our imperfect world so that he can wash us and make us clean by taking everything that we've ever done that is wrong and taking it onto his own shoulders and paying for it all in his death, washing it away. And you know, if Jesus is the only person in the world who is unbroken, if he is who the world is waiting for, if if every story that has ever been told with a longing for a happy ending is, is a pale reflection of this story, then only he is worth following. That's why we have this most incredible story in verse 16, don't we? The last bit of our passage. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Have you ever met anybody like that? So magnetic, so attractive, so compelling that, that you, you just want to be with them. You just want to follow them, listen to them, love them. 
Samuel Rutherford. Uh, Samuel Rutherford was, was a Scottish Presbyterian pastor. He, he got himself in all the right kind of trouble for the things that he wrote. And he got himself in so much trouble in Scotland in the 1600s that he was exiled to Aberdeen. And some of us know what that, that's like, don't we? Exiled to Aberdeen. Uh, in our new building up the road on Queen Street, we're going to have in it the Rutherford Hall. They said of Rutherford that in his Aberdeen years in exile, from the letters that he wrote from his writing desk, they said that from his writing desk, it was perhaps the most effective and widely resounding pulpit in all of Christendom. Here's why. Listen to Samuel Rutherford. Put the beauty of 10,000 worlds of paradises like the Garden of Eden, put the beauty of all those thousands of worlds into one. Put all trees, flowers, all smells, all colors, all tastes, all joys, all sweetness, all loveliness, put it all into one place. Oh, what a fair and excellent thing that would be. And yet it would be less than that fair and dearest, well-beloved Jesus Christ. It would be less than one drop of rain to the whole seas, rivers, lakes, and fountains of 10,000 earths compared to him. Friends, as we study Mark together, that is all I want you to see. To see the Christ, the King, about whom God said, with you I am pleased. So hide yourself in him. And follow him all your days. Amen.